Matthew chapter 2, if you'll turn there, and we'll continue our study in Matthew's gospel that we started last week as we were introduced to Matthew's gospel. So it's going to be an incredible study. I hope you can come out on Sunday mornings and join us as we travel through Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 2, of course, is a familiar story that if you're new to Calvary, you're visiting maybe this morning, you might be thinking, aren't you a couple months late and going over to the record of the wise man coming from the east. We go through the books of the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So we went through chapter one, now comes chapter two. So we're going to look at this once again, as you recall, if you're with us, um, Matthew begins his gospel by giving us the genealogical record of Jesus, his legal lineage through Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. And so as we talked about how the gospel of Matthew is written to emphasize to show us that not only is Jesus the king of the Jews, it was written with the Jewish reader in mind, but to also emphasize that he's the king of all kings. And one of the things that we see here is there's going to be a lot of Old Testament quotes as we travel through uh, Matthew, one of the key phrases is that this was fulfilled by the Old Testament prophet, and we're going to see it even today. And we know that God had declared in his word in Genesis that the coming Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, as we discussed last week going through the genealogy. And then also, according to 2 Samuel chapter 7, a descendant of King David. So Matthew establishes Jesus' rightful claim to the throne of Israel. Israel by, you know, establishing his genealogy clear back to Abraham. And then we see that Matthew gives us some details concerning the birth of Jesus. Matthew records in chapter one how the angel came to declare to Joseph that Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It would be a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this child that heaven uh, is naming Jesus, Yahshua, the Lord thy salvation, he's going to free his people from their sins. And that is of course, what Jesus came to do, to free us as he went to the cross from the penalty of sin. As we come to him and surrender our lives to him, he frees us by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in the power of sin in our lives. And now as we continue in Matthew, we see another event of the birth of Jesus, that the wise man coming from the east. So two gospels that we have recorded uh, concerning the birth of Jesus, Matthew, and then Luke, of course, mentions the announcement of Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, Mary, you're going to conceive um, and bring forth the son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and called the son of the highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then Luke chapter 1 records Mary's response to that announcement. 
is called the Magnificent. Uh, just her praise uh, is it's an incredible portion of scripture when you really consider uh, she's 16, 17 years old, the depth of maturity and, and knowledge of the scripture and just how much of a godly young lady she really was. Well, as she gives that praise, then in Luke chapter 2, you know, is the record of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, a portion of scripture we're all familiar with. And then we also read in Luke chapter 2 how just in a few days old that Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the house of the Lord there in Jerusalem to dedicate him to the Lord. And then also they would bring a sacrifice as prescribed in the Old Testament law. They would have Simeon, that the elder man that would recognize Simeon's moment, as it's called, that he's the Christ child. And it would be after Luke chapter 2 that chronologically, now we come to Matthew chapter 2, the Magi who travel from the east to see the Christ child. Let's begin to read that as in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So we learned that Jesus was born during the reign of Herod the king, also known as Herod the Great. And he would be the king of Judea uh, during the time uh, of the birth of Jesus. And as we look at verses 1 through 12, we're going to see three different groups of people and their reaction to the Christ child. There's first of all Herod, who was hostile to the Christ child. Second of all, there's the religious leaders who were indifferent to the Christ child. And then there were the wise men or the magi that they came to worship him. They came to, to worship the Christ child. And these are three different reactions to Jesus uh, that we see today in people. First, there was, as we read the story, mentioned as Herod. Um, history tells us that Herod was only about four feet, four inches tall. But politically, he was a big guy. He would be placed by Rome to be the king of Judea. Now, when we go through the Gospel of Matthew, that Israel at this time was divided up into three sections. The northern part of the country was called Galilee. That's where most of Jesus' earthly ministry took place. Then the middle section was called Samaria. That's where the Samaritans live. We'll talk more about them uh, as we travel through Matthew's gospel. And then the southern portion of the country was Judea, which included Jerusalem and where the temple was, where Bethlehem was, where Jesus was born. And Herod is ruling during this time, uh, he is called the Great, and he's called the Great because he was an accomplished builder. He was known for building great and beautiful structures, and his feats were really quite amazing. If you ever travel with us to Israel, uh, we see some of the remains of uh, the projects that that Herod did and some of the things that he built. He built the port city of Caesarea. You can go there today, see the amphitheater that was built. They still hold concerts there today where thousands of people can sit in that amphitheater uh, and, and listen to music or listen and watch plays. Uh, there were fortresses that he built. There's one called Herodian just south of Jerusalem. And that's where they just in the last few years found his tomb uh, out in the desert, Negev Desert, there's Masada that's near the Dead Sea. Uh, really quite amazing uh, how he built that fortress. In Jerusalem, there's uh, Herod's Praetorium, there's Antonio Fortress. 
but his greatest feat was expanding the second temple because you see Solomon, his temple, the first temple in the Old Testament was destroyed by the Babylonians. After the captivity was over, Zerubbabel came back and they rebuilt the second temple. It was a very modest temple. But as you know, time passed, uh, nearly 500 years later, here comes Herod the Great, and he wants to expand the temple. He wants to remodel it, and he does that. He expands the Temple Mount area, makes courts where thousands of people could gather. He expands uh, the temple uh, proper. He, he remodels the, the temple to where it became a magnificent building, overlaid it with gold. It became one of the wonders of the world. And you can go and see some of the stones that he used, huge, ornate stones, very beautiful stones, cut to precise precision. And, and so he was called the great because he was a very great builder. But personally and politically, he was very cruel. He was a very paranoid individual. He would have many people put to death. We're going to see how cruel that he can be when we get to verse 16, which most of you are familiar with this portion of scripture. He had many of his family members that were killed. He had some of his wives that were killed. There was a saying in the Roman Senate at this time that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. That's how cruel he was. He was always afraid that someone would take away his position as king. And that's why he made all those fortresses. And that's going to play a role in these wise men coming from the east, which are the second group of people that we see in our text here coming to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these wise men or magi, most people know uh, them from the Christmas carol, um, the manger scenes. Um, and as we look at this, tradition says that there was three wise men. Uh, we have the Christmas carol that, that sings, We Three Kings. And as we go through this, I want to make sure that we separate what the Word of God says and what tradition says. The scripture doesn't support that, that these are kings. We read that they are wise men, magi, where we get our word magician. They would come from the east, so they probably were coming from that area known as Babylon. And we know something of magicians and magis from that area historically and also biblically. We know that these wise men were skilled in astronomy. In other words, they would study the stars and the position of planets and things like that. And they would make interpretations on the positions of the stars and the planets. They would predict the future. They were also, as they were in astronomy, they were given over to astrology. And that is, you know, today you have the horoscopes and the zodiac signs. And matter of fact, in Jeremiah's days, we're going through the book of Jeremiah, that the Lord indicted his people because they were worshiping the sun, the moon. They were given over to, to occultic kinds of practices, studying the stars and the moons and, and uh, you know, astrology. You and I as Christians, that we're told to stay away from those things. So they were also known from interpreting dreams. And we see that in Daniel's book. 
Daniel chapter 2, you recall that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he has a dream. He, he calls for his magicians. He calls for the wise men, the soothsayers, the astrologers. And, and he says, tell me the dream and the interpretation of the dream. They said, we can't do that. You need to tell us what the dream is. Nebuchadnezzar said, no, I, I want you guys to tell me the dream and then the interpretation. They couldn't do it. So Nebuchadnezzar got angry, began to kill the wise men, and then Daniel steps in as he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord gave him the dream and the interpretation of the dream that he would give to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was amazed, and so he promoted Daniel to be his right-hand man there as Daniel was there in the palace of Babylon. Uh, He was overseeing the affairs of the Babylonian government. We know that after Nebuchadnezzar would die, that Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar, the, the new king of Babylon, that he's having a banquet with his leaders, and all of a sudden a finger writes on the wall behind him, and it's the finger of God. And so Belshazzar, all freaked out, he calls for his wise men, his astrologers, his soothsayers, to interpret the handwriting on the wall, and they couldn't do it. So Daniel does it for him. In the book of Genesis, Joseph, the son of Jacob, uh, he's brought out of prison to interpret a dream for Pharaoh because his wise men couldn't do that. So these wise men, they studied the stars to determine the future, the moon, the suns, and what you and I are to do is that we are to study the sun, that is the son of God. You stay to the scriptures because Isaiah declares that he knows the end from the beginning. And he has a wonderful future for you and for me that we can know. So as these wise men, these ones, they're, they're very unique. And it is speculated that these wise men from the east coming to worship the Christ child, that they were very familiar with Daniel's writings and prophecies, that there was a sect of a wise men that knew of Daniel's writings, that had learned from Daniel, uh, as Daniel was overseeing the wise men of Babylon some 600 years before this time. And Daniel, he was a wonderful testimony of the truth of God. So I believe it's safe to say that he shared his love of the Lord to these men. He would share the prophecies that he had received. They would be familiar with Daniel chapter 7, that how the Son of Man, all peoples, nations, shall serve him. Perhaps they're familiar with Daniel chapter 9, the, the prophecy that when the command comes to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, there will be 69 weeks or 69 periods of seven years of the coming of Messiah the Prince. And so these wise men watching the stars for generations after Daniel, nearly 600 years, all of a sudden this star appears to guide them to Israel. So they're coming to Jerusalem, and they are saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And then verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now the star that they're following, there's all kinds of speculations on what exactly this star is. Some say it was a conjunction of, of you know, planets or a comet. I just personally believe that God could have just made a 
a star, a supernatural star, to get these guys' attention. I mean, he's the creator of heaven and earth. He created billions of stars. He could create a star to get, to get the attention of these guys. And it seems like as we continue to read that this star appears and, and, and then it's gone and then it reappears. So we're not exactly sure. There's another suggestion that I'll give to you as we continue on. But I have no problem that the Lord created a special star for this occasion. He created, I'm sure, a large fish to swallow Jonah, to carry him for three days. Um, He has no problem. If we can believe in the first verse of the Bible that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we can believe that he created a star, that, that the miracles of the Bible are true. So our God is awesome. And so they come to Jerusalem. And and here's another point. The text tells us wise men, plural. And and we've talked about this at Christmas time. We've gone over this text. But uh, it doesn't say that there's three wise men. And we know that in our nativity scenes and in tradition, there's three wise men. Even church tradition names them. And it makes for a nice scene as three wise men coming across the desert carrying three gifts. And we're going to read that there was three gifts. But it doesn't say how many there were. There's wise men, plural. There was at least two. There could have been three. Personally, I think that there was a large company of wise men that were coming from the east. There were several, at least a couple dozen wise men that were coming. And they could have had guards with them. And it got the attention of Herod. He sees these guys coming. And, and, and he's upset. Uh, these guys coming up to Jerusalem, they're asking, where is he born king of the Jews? And Herod hears about it. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like to hear about a new king being born. He is threatened. He is troubled. And because he is troubled, it tells us that all Jerusalem was troubled. And the reason that all Jerusalem is troubled, because the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judea, They knew that if Herod is troubled, that the ramifications are going to be bad, that that he's going to react in a way where a lot of people could get hurt, and we're going to see that came true. He's feeling threatened. Uh, This is bad for us. If Herod is troubled, all of Jerusalem is troubled. Listen, this is spreading. Word of mouth. This is before Fox News and CNN News and, and, and able to get news out there. So they're troubled. These guys have really gotten the attention of all of Jerusalem and Herod. And because Herod is ruthless, they knew that that trouble was coming. And so Jerusalem is, is all of a sudden anxious. And, and they're troubled in their hearts. And those of Judea, in verse 4, and when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, it to, he inquired of them where the Christ child was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the third group here that we see in our text this morning, the religious leaders of Israel. First there was Herod, who was hostile to the Christ child. Secondly, the Magi, who come to worship the Christ child. And now the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, who are indifferent to the Christ child. 
Herod says, I'm going to call these guys. I'm going to talk to these guys to get more information about this new king of Israel. And they tell Herod that it's according to the prophet Micah, 700 years previous to this, that he had written that the new king, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. You know Bethlehem, just right down the street, only about 10 miles from Jerusalem. That's where he's going to be born. But as I've mentioned this before, as we talked about this at Christmas, but I think it's worth us considering and really thinking about is that what intrigues me is the religious leaders knew the scriptures. They had the prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah. They hear of these magi from Jerusalem following this star and, and, and asking about a new king being born um, in, in the new king of Israel. And Herod is asking them, hey, where is this new king supposed to be born? Well, right down the road there. <clears throat> Here are these wise men. They expend the energy. They travel for who knows how long they've been traveling to come and worship. Just as you've come here this morning to come and worship him. And you are truly wise. But these religious leaders were indifferent. There's no record of them going and checking it out. There's no record of them saying, hey, maybe we ought to pay attention to this. Something is going on. But they said, hey, he's down the street. That's where he's to be born. I think that there's something for us to consider. And we need to be reminded that it isn't just having a head knowledge of the scriptures, but to have the scriptures being in our hearts, being worked out in our lives. And I have known some that they, they know the scriptures. They say, I know the Bible. Uh, I grew up in the church. I've gone to Bible study. I know the Bible. But their hearts are far from the Lord. And the word of God hasn't really touched their hearts or the word isn't being worked out in their lives. And as we talk about walking in godly wisdom, godly wisdom is not just knowing the word of God, but it is doing it, having it worked out in our lives. James says for you and I, not just to be a hearer of the word, but what? Be a doer of the word. Don't just look in the mirror and leave and forget what you look like. And the word of God, as we come here and as we go through this gospel, as we go through the scriptures, it's not just so that we have a head knowledge, but that we might know him and we might know his ways. And the word of God might touch our hearts so that it's worked out in our lives and there be fruit in our lives. So the blessing comes by not just knowing it, but in living what the Lord says that we are to live, how we are to live. It's in doing taking the knowledge of the Lord in his word and having it guide us and grow us in our love and devotion to him. And that's what, again, that we have seen going through the book of Jeremiah. The people had religion. They were sacrificing. They, they were saying prayers. Um, they had a lot of religious activity, but it was all in false pretense. And they had refused the word of God. It was all academic to these religious leaders who said, Micah, oh yeah, 5-2, we know. Any other questions you have, Herod? And they didn't even bother to go check it out. Hey, we better go see what's going on in Bethlehem. Could it be that the Messiah is born? 
And my prayer and hope for us as we journey through this gospel, that we would desire to draw closer to the Lord and our love for him, to know him more. So Herod gets this information in verse 7. And when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Hey, you wise guys, you go to Bethlehem. Uh, that's where he's supposed to be born and search for him. Let me know when you find him that I may come and worship. And of course, he's being deceitful. He wanted to have Jesus be put to death. Now, a point of interest here, Herod wants to know, when did you guys first see the star? When did it appear? And so their answer would help him form a plan. Uh, he's going to give a decree that the boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding district, two years and under, be put to death. So that tells us, as he's asking them, when did you first see the star? That they could have seen the star two years before this. And have they been traveling for two years? Did they follow the star for a certain amount of time and then the star wasn't there and they waited for it to reappear? Uh, we don't know for sure. But it seems like that from the answer that they gave him, the, the plan that Herod made, that it was two years before this, at the birth of Jesus, when Jesus was born, when they first saw the star. And so they heard the king, when they heard the king, verse 9, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So a couple things concerning, again, the star of Jesus. It seems from the text that it was a definitely a supernatural thing. It, it would now reappear, and, and when they saw it, they're exceedingly full of joy. Uh, some have suggested that it could be that what they were seeing was the Shekinah glory of God. Now, it's the same glory that would lead the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. We know from Ezekiel chapter 10 that the, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God departed from the temple and then it went over the Mount of Olives and, and departed. So this star, a star, the glory of God would lead them, guide them to Bethlehem to a house, notice, as we read there in verse 11, it's no longer the, the stables, it's no longer the, the manger uh, scene that we're so familiar with. They're in a house, and it's no longer is this, you know, an infant. This is the child. This is after the birth of Jesus, even as we began to read in chapter 2. So Jesus is about two years old. He's a toddler when they came to his house. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph, all of a sudden this large caravan and company of wise men come pulling up to their house and, and all the commotion going on and the star that appeared over them? It, I, I wonder, what are they thinking? What's going through their minds? And the gifts that are presented here, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, obviously, they didn't make a trip to Toys R Us. But as we look at these gifts, we find it that these gifts are very appropriate to present to Jesus. I mean, really stop. Let's think about this. The depth and understanding and insight of these wise men are really quite incredible when you think about it. They would bring gold. 
It's a metal that represents royalty. They would bring frankincense, which was the spice that was used by the priest. Then myrrh was another spice, and that was a burial spice. And these wise men, I think, truly being wise, and it's as though they recognize that this one Jesus, whom they are worshiping, that he is truly not only the king of Israel, but he's the king of kings. And as they bring that spice of frankincense, that he is the great high priest, as Hebrew declares, as they bring myrrh, that burial spice, there was a reason why Jesus came. He was born that he might come to die, to die for them, to die for you and for me, for die for this sinful humanity, to make atonement for our sins. And so verse 12, as we continue then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. So they're warned, don't go back to Herod, but you go home another way. They were obedient to God even when they knew that it would be dangerous. You see, you didn't cross Herod. He would have you be put to death. Uh, you go another way that was for their protection, and as we are obedient to the Lord, it isn't always easy, is it? But he desires for us to follow him, to go his way, because there is blessing and there is protection and there's safety and security in being obedient to the Lord. And I want to note one last thing, and I think this is really what is maybe the most important note as we look at this story of the wise man coming to worship Jesus, the Christ child, they noticed that they weren't content just to see the star, his star. They wanted to see him. I think that sometimes I talk to Christians, they can get so focused on the signs and want to follow signs and all of that. And what I hope and pray for you and for me is that our hearts would be that we want to see you, Lord. We want to see you personally, clearly. And we come here to worship you and to know you and to grow in our love for you. So verse 13 tells us, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod, Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. That's from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. So Joseph, having an angel speak to him in a dream, this is the second time that this has happened to Joseph, and he's told to take Mary and, and, and Jesus and flee to Egypt where they will be safe from Herod, and they probably go to that area of northern Egypt where Alexandria was. At this time, historically, there was about a million Jews that were there. They would be there, uh, saved out of the jurisdiction of Herod um, until Herod ends up dying. So Joseph, again, leaving, they would live probably on the gold that was given to them during those years that they're in Egypt. And again, to remind you, dads, listen, as you're obedient to the Lord, know this, that God's going to provide for you. That as you are hearing the voice of the Lord and being obedient to the word of the Lord, that the Lord's going to provide for you. 
because where he guides, he provides. And in verse 16, Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. In all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, you refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So a very cruel, ruthless thing that Herod did in ordering the male children to be killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding districts. Matthew once again writes this as a fulfillment of what Jeremiah the prophet wrote. Quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, and as we just read it, as Matthew records it, it is something that um, maybe that we're wondering, why is it a fulfillment? There's weeping, there's, there's sorrow, there's death that comes at the birth of Jesus. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, when Jeremiah writes this, a voice was heard in Ramah. Ramah was a staging area that was north of Jerusalem that when the Babylonians came, there was death, there was destruction, and, and many lost their lives. But also, Ramah was a staging area where they would take the captives and, and mothers were weeping because they would never see their children again. Taken off into captivity. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel, who's buried in Bethlehem, was considered the mother of the nation of Israel. Refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Listen. We read this and, and we think, how cruel... How this story turns, you know, to where these little children are being put to death. And I think, Lord, why didn't you just drop Herod dead? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that there is great joy concerning the birth of Jesus that we have because we come to Jesus. And we have been like the wise men. We come to worship him. And we recognize that he's the king of kings. And even as the night that Jesus was born, for I bring you great tidings of joy, which will be to all people, that is born to you in the city of David, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Glad tidings of great joy, because we have a future, don't we? And we have a hope. And that's why Jesus came. But you see, I also know concerning Jesus that there can be sorrow <clears throat> and there can be difficulty. We got brothers and sisters who are being martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. But as he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, I want to read to you verse 16, the next verse, as the Lord says, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord. He is your future and your hope. And this morning we can rejoice because of that. Whatever it is that you're going through, the uncertainty in your life, the difficulties that you're facing, the anxiousness that's in your heart, you know, the problems that you're going through, then know this, that the Lord loves you. And he is your future and hope. 
even as it was a couple chapters before Jeremiah writes this down, that he says that my thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and not of evil. To what? To give you a future and hope. Remember that his promises are true for you. He's with you and he loves you. And he gives us a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Father, we thank you. We thank you so much. As we look at this story, it's bittersweet. And Lord, incredible, these wise men, but also difficult as here is this ruthless man that made the decree. But, but Father, I pray that this morning that we would remember that we have a wonderful, wonderful future. That we don't have the spirit of fear, but of spirit of adoption. We belong to you. Your promises are true for us. We know that, that we have eternal life that comes through you. And this world is cruel. But this world is not our hope. You are, Lord. So I want to pray for anyone who's here listening to this message that maybe you've never come to Christ to worship him, to acknowledge him as the king of kings of your life personally. Jesus went to the cross to die for you, to give you a future and a hope, a living hope through his resurrection. He died on the cross for your sins because our sins have separated us from him. He rose again from the grave as he was put into that tomb. He, he validated what he did on the cross. He is the son of God who came to give you the only hope that there is. And as you come and surrender your life to him and recognize your need to be forgiven, as you call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. Will you trust him, surrender to him for forgiveness and salvation to come into the family of God? You can do that right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. I believe you died for me, Lord. You were put into a tomb. You're, you, you rose from the grave. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of all lords. Forgive me. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for the hope that I now have, a living hope, and bringing me into the family of God. And I thank you for your love for me. I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, as we're going to end here in just a minute. There's going to be a prayer team. Come up, tell them the decision you made. We want to bless you. We want to encourage you in any way we can. But for all of us, may we leave here with exceeding joy because we know you, Lord, and because of what Jesus Christ did for us in bringing us life. And Lord, whatever it is that we might be going through, the sorrows, the difficulties, the anxiousness, the wondering, the uncertainty, that we would rest and that we would stand on this one truth. You are our future and hope. Everything else in this world is uncertain, but you are our future and hope, which is glorious. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?